Well, we're dressed the same, but I'm Pastor Bob. <laughs> I don't need that. Can we do the prayer over again? Yeah. <laughs> I think he knows you who you mean. No. <laughs> oh, dear. Aren't you glad we can laugh? Well, we're going to look at the shepherds this morning. He promised me. Well, that just goes to show you what most people thought about the shepherds. They just don't exist. I'm going to be reading out of Luke's account, chapter 2, beginning verse 8. You probably will read this Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Very familiar passage, but let's look at it again. Because I believe that every time I read God's word, I see something new. And it's, uh, it's good to go to the word with an open heart and mind, saying, oh, I've read this before. Just let him speak. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And everyone said, yeah, yeah, me too. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to, whom, to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has, been, that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Can you imagine or grasp the significance of, of the scene out there in the fields? It was in a field outside of tiny Bethlehem. It was at night, and it was to lowly shepherds. Hardly what one would expect to see at the announcement of God's Son. But it's the way it was. There are those who would say it, it was the wrong place, it was the wrong time, it was the wrong people. But that's just another one of those things that proves that God's ways are not our ways. They're far above and beyond what we can imagine. Was it the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong people? Or was it saying 
God will go anywhere, anytime, to anyone. I think that's what it says. God will go anywhere, a field, anytime, in the middle of the night, to anyone, lowly shepherds. And what was being said? What was the announcement of the birth of God's Son really saying? The angels were saying, a Savior of the whole world has been born. They were saying he is going to make peace with God possible. <laughs> wow. Peace with God. Now, how is that going to be, happen? Well, by living a sinless life as a human... Jesus could die a death that each person of Adam's race deserves. Are you fully aware of the truth that you deserve to be dead right now? And lost with no hope. That's what we all deserve. But that isn't what we're experiencing, is it? Because Jesus came was born in a manger. His dying for our sins makes it possible for God to remove the barrier that, according to Isaiah, is the sin which separates us. And I think we lose, we lose sight of the fact that sin always separates. Always. If I were to sin today, it would become a barrier to my relationship with the Father. That's just truth. We don't sin in word, thought, and deed every day. You cannot and live in fellowship with the Father. And another thing about what happened when Jesus died on the cross because he was born to die, you realize that. From God's perspective, listen, there is nothing that is keeping us from living in fellowship with him. There's nothing. There's no reason to God say, well, I can't fellowship with him. No, there isn't any reason. As far as he's concerned, the only thing that is stopping you and me from having fellowship with him is our desire to have fellowship or the lack of it. That's good news, folks. Anyone who wants to have fellowship with the Father can. That's why, that's, why the said, that's why the angel said there's going to be peace on earth to all people. Everyone can be at peace. Our part is to believe that simply what he accomplished in his death on the cross includes us. And our part is to simply believe that truth and accept the results of that truth and begin living in fellowship with our Creator. This is not what the religious leaders were expecting as far as the Messiah was concerned. They wanted or were expecting a king to come. A king who would free them from Roman oppression and would reestablish the nation of Israel. But Jesus didn't come to do that. He came to reconcile us 
to the Father. He came to be king of a, of a kingdom that has no end. And that he's inviting us to be part of. The kingdom of eternal love and joy and peace. So let's look a little more closely at these shepherds that were out in the field. While I was doing research in preparation, I came across a fellow by the name of Alfred Edersheim. He was a 19th century Jewish Christian. He was a theologian and a historian, and he specialized in what was happening in Judea around the time of Jesus. That was his area of expertise. And through his knowledge of the Old Testament and other prominent Jewish writings, he proposed that Jesus' birth was at a place called Midgal Adar. How many have ever heard of Midgal Adar? That's what I thought. I hadn't either. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Hebrew that is translated Tower of the Flock. That's what Midgal Adar means. Tower of the Flock. And, what, and there were many of them. And the one that was outside of Bethlehem was probably an old military structure. The Tower of the Flock is mentioned in the Old Testament back as far as uh, the death of Jacob's wife, Rachel. And in the prophecy of Micah, it was mentioned in, as part of his prophecy concerning the Messiah. But what was this tower of the flock? And there, there were many of them, as I said. There was one outside of Bethlehem. There was one outside of Jerusalem. They were simply towers with a large room at the bottom into which the shepherds would climb so they could have a better view of where the flock was. It was, it was enabling them to keep an eye at a further distance than they could just by being on the ground. But this tower, the one that was outside of Bethlehem, and it was on the road to Jerusalem, it was, it was within walking distance to Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Anybody know how many miles you could walk on the Sabbath? Seven. I don't know how they measured. Did they have a pedometer? And they It's amazing what it, what it does and how they measured things. I, I was reading just the other day when one of the Jewish or one of the Roman guards came to have Jesus heal his servant. And uh, he said, well, he, he's healed. And so he went back and his servants came and greeted him and said, he's well, he's alive. <laughs> and he says, well, when did it happen? And they looked at their watch. No, but they said immediately about one o'clock yesterday afternoon. How did they know that? How did they know what one o'clock was? You know, see, that's the way my mind goes when it reads scripture. How, what's that mean? What, what's the significance of the lady who 
had a, the, the hemorrhage of blood for 12 years touching Jesus' garment before he went to raise Jairus' daughter, who was 12 years old. What? Both 12 years. I haven't found out what that means yet, but I'm not stopped looking. So anyhow, the one that was in Jerusalem, the tower of the flock, was spotless. It had been detailed by the priests as to everything they needed to do to keep everything clean. It's where the ewes birthed their lambs. And, and this is what I really found important. They, the, the shepherds who were raising these sheep were raising them to be used in the temple sacrifices. There's one in the morning and one in the evening. So two spotless lambs a day they had to provide. That's what their job was, to provide lambs for the sacrifice. And when the lamb was born, they would examine it and they knew what, had, what it had to be like in order to qualify as the lamb that was to be sacrificed at the temple. And when they determined that it was a perfect lamb, it qualified, they wrapped it in bands of cloth. Yeah. And my mind just goes, whoo, wow, this is, I, I like this. Why? Because, have you, ever, have you ever seen a newborn lamb walk? Well, it was to protect them, because if, if they were to fall and, and tear open their, their, their flesh, there'd be a scar, they were no longer qualified. So they, they took extreme care to keep them from getting Injured, And so the contention with all of that being true about this tower of the flock, the contention is that th these are the shepherds to whom the angels announced the birth of the Lamb of God. And that this is actually where Jesus was born, not in some smelly old stable. And as I read that, I thought, wow, isn't that neat? I like that. Makes sense. But is it scriptural? What do you mean? Does, it, does that account agree with what is told us in scripture? So I went back to Luke again, and I read it just to be sure. And no, it's not. Why? Because if you go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 15, it says, let's go to Bethlehem. Not outside of Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Now, if they were, if, they, if those were the shepherds to whom the angels appeared, why would they leave the tower and go to Bethlehem when Jesus was born in the tower. You see what I'm saying? 
It says they left to go see, and they found. But if he were born in the tower, they wouldn't have had to go anywhere. They were there. They wouldn't have needed the angels to come and tell them. They were there when he was born. So while it sounds good, it isn't what happened. So who were these shepherds then? If it weren't those, it's more like the ones that the story that we are acquainted with and we identify with. And shepherds are a group of people in this particular time who weren't very well thought about. Uh, Israel's history goes back to being shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. David, who became a king, was a shepherd. So what happened between those days and how they were treated and thought about in the time of Jesus? Well, when they moved into the promised land and began to occupy the land, they began living in cities, in houses, not in tents, moving around. And so the shepherding now wasn't always done by the owners of the sheep. They began to use hirelings. And too often, the hirelings didn't care much for the sheep or at least not as much as, as the owners did. They would graze their flocks wherever, and if it were on somebody else's land, they didn't care. They're even known to steal others' sheep. Their reputation wasn't very good. In fact, by the time Jesus was born, Shepherds couldn't even testify in court. They didn't believe a word they said. Their testimony meant nothing. That's, that's quite a reputation. Not a good one. So because of their jobs, because of the conditions under which they lived, which were unclean, and because shepherding was a 24-7, 365-day-a-year job, Temple worship and having the opportunity to participate in the feasts and the holy days, uh, that didn't happen. And so they were unclean and unfit and cut off from God as far as the religious community was concerned. If there were any group of people who felt that they were unworthy of worshiping God, it was probably the shepherds. They didn't have a very good opinion of themselves because the people didn't have either. Now, they provided animals that were used in the temple for worship. It is shepherds like this that would provide uh, the, the lambs to the people who would come from a, had to come from a distance to travel to the temple, and they would offer their sacrifices. It was these kinds of shepherds that they would take their lambs into, the, uh, into Jerusalem and people would buy them and uh, use them in worship in that way. Um, 
if, if we were to identify what, what the people thought of the shepherds, I think it would be something like what we think about when we hear the word gypsy. They're just nomads, just undependable, never know what they're going to do kind of thing. They would uh, graze their sheep from April to November, far away from home, just out in the, in the wilderness kind of thing. Wilderness meaning there's no towns within many, many miles. But come November, they would uh, start coming back to their homeland and these shepherds, that was Bethlehem. And the, the farmers after the harvest will allow them to to graze the sheep in their fields uh, and get the benefit of the natural fertilizer. And, and so they were welcomed at that point anyway. But I, th I think I understand that they weren't really desirable company. Let's go out and talk with the shepherds for a while. Eh, probably not. They probably smelled bad. No. <laughs> I remember growing up in Warren, Pennsylvania. I, we moved there when I was two. We moved to Nelsonville when I was eight. But there was a, there was a man in the, the Warren church that, that we called Uncle Glenn. And I don't know if it was just something that happened in the Warren fellowship, but all the adults, we kids called aunt and uncle. Do you know why? Because I would say, Brother Todd, good to see you. Well, if we were brothers, then Kendra would call me uncle. Isn't that what you do to brothers? You know, uncle? So he was Uncle Glenn. He was my dad's brother. He was a farmer. And you could smell it. Now, he wasn't dirty. I, 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 I'm assuming that he probably had to do chores before coming to church. But he didn't wear the clothes that he had out in the barn. But he had an odor, and I loved it. Others would. And the neat thing was, every once in a while, I was able to go over and sit with him now. They had one of the fan church. They have a fan church, you know, it's not, not deep, but wide. And when you're only five years old, the other side of the church was a long ways away. But I'd get to go sit with him and his wife. I don't know what her name was. Can you believe that? I don't know what her name was. She was Aunt Murchie. Merchant, I guess, or, you know. Smelly shepherds. Have you seen the, the trailers for the, 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 the uh, television series that, that is coming the first of the year, uh, The Chosen? You know, don't know what I'm talking about? They're, they're working on having a, a series on the life of Jesus beginning with his birth through his death and resurrection. And it's going to be every week. It's going to be another chapter in the life. 
a series. And I'm not sure when it's coming out, but I, I, I hope to be able to see it. But it was to the likes of shepherds that angels came, not to the king, not to the wealthy, not to the religious, but to shepherds. Why? Why? Luke chapter 7, when John the Baptist sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus if he were the Messiah, he told him to tell John that the blind receive their sight, that the lame walk, that those who have leprosy are cleansed, that the deaf hear, that the dead are raised. You notice anything about those, that group of people? They were, on, they were the misfits. The blind, the deaf, the lame, especially the leprous. And tell him that the good news is preached to the poor. I don't think it's coincidental that the announcement of his birth came to the likes of the shepherds. If we, he came to bring good news to everyone. And what better way to do that than to tell it to the least expected? Today, there are a lot of people who feel like shepherds, that they're unclean, that they've gone too far, that they've done unforgivable things, that they're unfit for fellowship with God. In fact, let me ask you this. Have you ever asked someone or invited someone to come to church with you and they would say something like, oh, if I walked in, the roof would cave in? You ever heard that one? Yeah. Or no, 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 I've gone too far. It's too late for me. Or God wants nothing to do with the likes of me. You see, this part of the Christmas story proves that those people who say those things are wrong. And we can show them that they're wrong in the scripture. They've not gone too far. The building's not going to collapse. The shepherds going to Bethlehem and experiencing Jesus for themselves proves that whosoever will may come. None are excluded. That's good news. That's good news. We don't know how many there were, how many shepherds, or how long it took them to find Jesus. And, and I ha don't know. There is also information that tells us there were houses in Bethlehem, well, throughout, I mean, in, in their lifestyle. They, they would have one large room, is family living area. It's where they did everything. And then at the end of it, there was a smaller room a couple steps down, and they kept their animals there. They would keep a sheep or two or goat, you know. And they had a manger right there in the house that they were fed from. <sighs> it's after midnight. You're asleep. Who is it? Where the shepherds looking for Jesus? Is he there? Yeah, right. 
I don't know how they found where he was, but they did. They didn't stop until they found him. I like that. They didn't stop until they found him. <laughs> Have you ever thought about Mary and Joseph's reaction when they walked in on them? What are you doing here? But they told him the story of what they had seen and what they had heard. Don't know how long they stayed with the baby Jesus that they had found. But they, they left sometime after midnight, found Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And when they left, people were up walking around. It was daylight. That's a long stretch of time. And they started telling everybody that they met what they had seen and what they had heard, and the people were amazed. Notice that they didn't shun the, the shepherds because they had, a, they had news to share. Who they were and what they looked like and what their reputation was wasn't the issue. The message was the issue. And the world doesn't care who we are or what we look like or what we smell like. They're interested in our message. They want to hear the truth. They want to see what happens when somebody meets Jesus. So the shepherds were changed. No longer outcasts were able to talk with the people. They were telling everybody. They didn't react negatively to the shepherds. They reacted positively to the message. Now at some point, it says they returned to their flocks and they were praising and glorifying God. They had been excluded from worshiping in the temple, but now they were worshiping wherever they were. I, I, I'm glad to see you here in his house worshiping him today. But don't let this be the only place you worship. Worship anywhere and everywhere. Let people see you worshiping God. They'll want to know what's the matter with you, and you can tell them. <laughs> I know the man who set me free. Yeah. <laughs> the, word, the words praising and, and glorifying indicate that they, they weren't just saying, oh, praise you, Jesus, praise you, Jesus. No, they were excited. And, and I, I pictured the Buckeyes kicking a winning field goal with three seconds left. Have you, ever, have you, have you seen what those crazy people do? That's, that's what I think about when it says they were glorifying and praising God. They, they weren't sitting around. They were jumping in, and they were excited. Does that describe you when you think about your relationship and what you've seen and what you've heard? We don't act very excited about Jesus, do we? <sighs> the invitation to see and experience Jesus still stands today. 
We're not invited to a church. We're not invited to a religion. We're invited to a person. Jesus Christ, God's son. What a wonderful opportunity we have to tell the Christmas story. To tell the announcement to the shepherds. Because it shows that no one has gone too far from God. Number two, that everyone is included in the, in the invitation to see and meet Jesus for themselves. And three, all will be changed. The old passes away and all becomes new. He makes us new creations fit to be part of his kingdom. So each of us here today is part of one of two groups. We need to either respond to the invitation and see Jesus for ourselves, meet our loving Savior, and let him change us from the inside out. Or we've already met him, and we need to be telling others that no one's gone too far. The invitation is for them, and that God wants to make them fit to be part of his eternal kingdom. We're all in one of those groups. Now, the shepherds ran to Bethlehem in search for Jesus. Will you walk from where you are to the altar where he's waiting to meet you and begin the change in your life? Are you willing to seek out someone who hasn't yet met Jesus and tell them that God will go anywhere, anytime, to anyone They'll meet him right where they are. Share the shepherd's experience and let them make the same choice to meet Jesus. The theme that's been going through this series is how far will you go? Or what are you willing to do? If you need to meet him, will you walk from where you are to where he is waiting? If you already know him, will you go and tell everyone that you meet what you've seen and what you've heard and tell them that it's available for them too? Would you stand with me, please? We need time to, uh, to respond. Everyone here has a choice to make right now. Will I come and meet Jesus? Will I go out and tell others what I've seen and the difference he's made in my life? Give you a moment or two to pray and then pastor's going to dismiss.